0: Welcome back to the Black Valor Podcast. This is episode three, and today we're going to be talking about Lieutenant John R. Fox. So, we were in Korea last time. Now, we're going to go back a little bit to World War II. Throughout World War II, the American military did take a lot of tentative steps towards utilizing blacks in combat roles, not just strictly in the service capacity. And in a limited way, black soldiers, airmen, sailors, and marines confronted the enemy on the field of battle. Now, despite evidence of stellar combat performance, these men and women were routinely denied recognition by their respective branches. To accentuate this point, At the close of the war, not a single black military member had received the Congressional Medal of Honor. In 1993, the U.S. Army sought to correct this oversight by commissioning Shaw University in North Carolina to research racial disparity in Medal of Honor selections during World War II. After reviewing documents provided by the Army, Shaw recommended 10 soldiers who met the criteria for receiving the Medal of Honor in a report titled The Medal of Honor and African Americans in the United States Army during World War II. Based on Shaw's completed study, in 1996, Congress passed a bill that allowed the President to award the Medals of Honor. Following this, on 13 January 1997, President Bill Clinton presented the medal to seven veterans. These veterans were 1st Lieutenant Vernon Baker, he was the only living recipient, Staff Sergeant Edward Carter Jr., Private First Class Willie James Jr., Staff Sergeant Reuben Rivers, Captain Charles Thomas, Private George Watson, and the subject of our podcast today, 1st Lieutenant John R. Fox. John Fox was a resident of Cincinnati, but he went to school at Wilberforce University. In fact, he completed the Reserve Officer Training Corps program at Wilberforce, and he was commissioned a second lieutenant on June 13, 1940. Following graduation, Lieutenant Fox completed the Army Infantry School and Rifle and Heavy Weapons courses in 1941. On 28 February 1944, Lt. Fox served in the U.S. Army Cannon Company, 366th Infantry, 92nd Infantry Division, the Buffalo Soldiers, 598th Field Artillery Battalion, and this was a unit he was with when they headed overseas. Before heading overseas, the Army formed the 370th Regimental Combat Team, composed of the 370th Infantry, 598th Field Artillery Battalion, and detachments from the 92nd Division at Fort Huachuca, Arizona, on 4 April 1944. So they were a bit of a advanced team that went over before the full force of the 92nd Division sailed overseas. Uh, most of the men filling the ranks of the 370th RCT were volunteers who proved themselves in the field during the famous Louisiana maneuvers of 1941 and after passing batteries of tests to prove their mental acuity. Those regimental exercises that occurred in Louisiana were the last big exercises that prepared all the U.S. forces for war before they headed overseas. The soldiers of the 370th RCT, who boarded the troop transport Mariposa at Hampton Roads on 15 July 1944, were exceptionally trained, fit, and intelligent. Their ocean crossing first took them to Oran, Algeria, before arriving at Naples, Italy on 30 July. Prior to the arrival of the 370th RCT, 5th Army, which were in command of the troops there on Italy, were fighting to dislodge the Germans in the rough Apennine Mountains. They had lost close to half of its recorded strength by that point. The desperate position of the belagered American and allied troops helped ensure the black soldiers received a welcome as combat troops rather than as laborers, even if all those in command were not in agreement with that decision. Along with the Americans, the 370th RCT fought alongside Brazilians, British, Italian partisans, and Indian troops. Even later in the war, they would fight with the famed Nisei troops. On 28 August, Lieutenant Fox's battalion began to move into position for battle. Unlike training stateside, the men of the 598th Field Artillery Battalion remained in close contact with their American White units while they were there. The day following their assignment to frontline combat positions, the 598th Battery C fired at the enemy for the first time. Combat patrols, including soldiers of the 370th, advanced across the Arno River with shells from the 598th convincing the German troops to keep their heads down as they moved forward. Incidentally, on 30 August, men from Company F captured two Germans manning a machine gun position. This was the first time Negro soldiers had captured an enemy in Europe. During the battles that occurred late in December, the soldiers of Companies A and C kept the Germans from taking the town of Molazana, while Company G resisted enemy attempts to push them out of Calamini. Unfortunately, there was a small garrison on the east bank of the river that got surrounded at Sommo Colonia, which is a little town there. Some reports state that the Germans outnumbered the black soldiers and Italian partisans by 6 to 1, as there were approximately 25 partisans that fought with the blacks at this time. By 0730, Lt. Graham H. Jenkins requested reinforcements to hold Sama Colonia and Company E was dispatched to provide assistance. The fighting around the town became fierce, and the black troops and Germans were battling house-to-house, hand-to-hand. Lt. Fox, acting as the forward observer for the 66th Cannon Company, 366th Infantry Regiment, coordinated artillery barrages to try and stall the enemy advance. Forward observers maneuvered with infantry units to ensure the accurate delivery of artillery within close proximity of friendly troops. So they were typical artillerymen, but they traveled along with the infantry. The situation continued to rapidly deteriorate. And then on the 25th of December, Christmas night, German troops dressed as civilians snuck into the town so they could infiltrate and take over key positions. By morning, Most of the entryways into Samoa Colonia were in Axis hands. In concert with the German infiltrators, traditional German infantry units assaulted the town under cover of a heavy artillery barrage at 0400 the next morning. The Germans outnumbered the American troops, and the majority were forced to leave the town. Around 8 a.m., Lt. Fox called headquarters to inform them that enemy soldiers were in the streets around them and he took a commanding position in the second floor of a house that they occupied. As the enemy advanced, he provided coordinates to direct artillery on the German troop concentrations in and throughout the town. Throughout the engagement, Lieutenant Fox steadily requested the artillery barrages move closer to his position. After his next-to-last barrage he would call, Lieutenant Fox told the battery, that round was just where I wanted it. Bring it in 60 more yards. He was warned that the coordinates he provided would result in the shells landing directly on his position. In reply, he insisted the barrage occur because there's more of them than there is of us. He then requested a smoke screen to help hide the fleeing friendly troops and partisans that were leaving. Four days later, the American soldiers counterattacked and pushed the Germans out of Samoa Colonia. When they arrived at the position Lieutenant Fox last reported, they found his body and those of some of his men with him. Surrounding them was an estimated 100 dead German soldiers. In the aftermath of the attack, Lieutenant Fox was recommended for the Distinguished Service Cross, but it was not awarded until his widow, Arlene Fox, received the citation on May 15, 1982, Unfortunately, this oversight by the army was common for men of the 92nd. Major General Edward M. Almond led the 366th Infantry Regiment, and he had a low opinion of blacks serving in the military. His opinions remained largely unchanged even when he led units in the Korean War. Fortunately, though, there were white soldiers who recognized heroism despite color. John Fox's Distinguished Service Cross could not have been approved if not for the persistence of Honden B. Hargrove. Uh, Hargrove was an old college friend, and he was a fellow soldier of John Fox's in the 92nd, and he fought in Italy as well. But Hargrove noted the oversight in 1947, and he began compiling the necessary documentation to see the decoration awarded. The most crucial proof that Fox was actually submitted for the award was printed in the 1946 Field Artillery Journal. And there was a major, Major E.A. Raymond, who wrote glowingly about the 598s action, and he stated in the article, One of the forward observer parties showed unbeatable heroism. Proof that colored field artillery can perform well in combat will be viewed by fair-minded members of our branch with more than passing interest." He went on to say, In rifle marksmanship... All field artillery battalions nearly doubled the record of the highest scoring white artillery battalion. And in physical fitness tests, the artillery made four of the five top scores in the division. He really set out that in training and in actual combat, the black artillerymen were head and shoulders above the rest. In describing Fox's actions in Salma Colonia, Major Raymond noted he was submitted for the war posthumously. This article provided the only proof that Lieutenant Fox's leaders had proffered his name for the award because his commanders had both died by that time and there weren't any official documents that anyone could find, which was one of the critical aspects of awarding him the Distinguished Service Medal. You had to have proof that he was initially cited for the awards during that time. The citation for Lieutenant Fox's Medal of Honor read, Lieutenant Fox's gallant and courageous actions at the supreme sacrifice of his own life greatly assisted in delaying the enemy advance until other infantry and artillery could reorganize to repel the attack. His extraordinarily valorous actions were in keeping with the most cherished tradition of military service and reflect their utmost credit on him, his unit, and the U.S. Army. Another interesting fact, the village members at Salma Colonia actually erected a A graves marker to Lieutenant Fox and two of his men. The U.S. Army may have forgotten him for a number of years, but the people in that village still remember of the sacrifice of not only Lieutenant Fox, but all the men of the 92nd, which helped free them from the fascists. That concludes a podcast for today on John Fox. As always, I have my sources, and I encourage you to go and take a look for yourself at some of the information. You can go on the website and see a picture of John Fox, some other things that I've collected. I actually have a copy of the Artillery article that was talking about Fox and his men. But for my sources today, I have Black Warriors, the Buffalo Soldiers of World War II by Ivan J. Houston, the Employment of Negro Troops by Ulysses Lee. The U.S. Army Center of Military History has an article titled African-American World War II Medal of Honor Recipients. Also, Soma Colonia, Barga, Italy. There's an article there on Barganews.com. John R. Fox, Second Lieutenant. And that's the an article on the 366th Infantry Regiment Veterans Association webpage. Also, the book American Patriots by Gail Buckley. And another couple articles Army Finally Recognizes World War II Black Heroes on the American Forces Press Service website. And after 38 years, a hero finally gets his medal. It's a newspaper article in the Sunday Enterprise. Well, that's it for this podcast. Please take time to give us feedback. You can go to the website, blackvalor.net, and leave feedback there on the forums. You can also go to iTunes, we're Black Valor on iTunes, leave feedback, leave a review. We appreciate it, it makes us better. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. That's it for now, I'm your host, Jamie Ann Parks, and I'll see you in two weeks.